Hello there, this is Pastor Bill Woods, and I want to remind you that even though we're having Memorial Day this weekend, it's not something that we just uh, set aside for picnics and baseball and all that kind of stuff. It's a time when we ought to stop and thank God for what he's done and blessings for us, and also uh, we need to remember the number of people that have made the ultimate sacrifice in the armed forces to give us the freedoms we enjoy. I remind you again that saying that says freedom is not free. I will be talking about Memorial Day theme on Sunday or tomorrow at the Holbrook Baptist Church, and uh, I would invite you to come and be a part of that service if you'd like to. Sunday school's at 9.45, morning worship's at 11 o'clock. Tomorrow evening we'll be showing a movie called Flag of My Father in honor of Memorial Day, and uh, I just would ask that, you know, take a little time to realize what the day is all about. I was thinking that... Uh, Sometimes on Memorial Day, we think about more than just the, the people that have given their lives and paid the ultimate sacrifice in the armed services. Sometimes we just remember about people we've loved that are gone. And I was thinking about my sister, and I thought I'd bring some thoughts about her. One of the things that I am reminded about, I used to work uh, servicing ATM machines in Seattle, and I had to go into a Japanese market to, for one of their machines. And it was always intriguing to me. They had a big fish tank, aquarium type thing. And there were all these fish floating around in there swimming. And uh, some customer would come and say he wanted a certain fish. And the you know, person that was in charge would put the net down, catch that fish, bring it out. It had no idea that it was about to die. It had no ideas. It swam with its friends and, and just seemed to have no cares in the world. And all of a sudden, it hit me one day. That's kind of what happens to us. We don't know when we're going to die. We know that it's going to happen someday, and we better be ready. And so what I would like to talk to you about today is how we need to set our house in order. Isaiah chapter 38, verses 1 through 3 says, uh, and also, Second Kings 20, 1 through 3, says the same thing. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. I'd say that it's not a very good bedside manner for Isaiah to come do that. I mean, a pastor is supposed to encourage, but of course we're supposed to warn too. Hebrews 9.27 says, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. I talked to my sister Peggy on Tuesday, May 20th, 2014, just like every other Tuesday. We just had an ongoing appointment at 10 o'clock in the morning uh, for several years, and I would call her every Tuesday at 10. She mentioned that she had a tight feeling in her chest. She wondered if it was her heart. 
I said, well, take some aspirin because that's supposed to help. And if, if it persists, then I would say that you go to the emergency room to check it out. She, she asked me then, she was interested in prophecy, and she asked me at that time if Russia invading the Ukraine fit the end-time prophecies. I told her not to worry because God takes care of his own people, and I reminded her of the panic that everybody had over the Y2K scare in uh, year 2000 when it switched over centuries. She seemed a little better. She emailed our friend Janelle in Camas, Washington, and mentioned the pain she was experiencing. She said if she didn't know better, she'd think it was a heart attack. Janelle wrote back, Peggy, uh, you know, let me know, but Peggy didn't answer. For two days, Janelle emailed her and called her on the phone with no response. Thursday afternoon, Janelle called me and said she had a bad feeling about Peggy. Well, I tried emailing and calling Peggy, and again, no response. You know, I called uh, the Walla Walla Police Department asking for a wellness check. They said they couldn't go in without a family member being present. After many calls, I reached our brother Joe and asked him to meet the police at 11.30 p.m. May 22nd. They entered the house. Peggy sat slumped over her uh, computer. She was dead. Well, you know, we've no guarantee we'll be alive tomorrow, and it pays to be ready. Take the case of Hezekiah, one of uh, God's good kings of Judah. Hezekiah was the great-grandson of King Uzziah, who was the son of Amaziah. Uzziah began his reign at age 16 after Amaziah's death. Judah prospered under Uzziah's reign, but he allowed the high places to remain. However, as long as he sought God, he prospered. He became arrogant and uh, one day went into the temple and burned incense, which was a priest's job, not a king's job. And God had instructed the priest to do it, not the king's. So God struck Uzziah with leprosy. And he then had to be isolated from the rest of his family, from the rest of his kingdom. Uzziah's son Jotham became co-king because his father had leprosy. He began to reign at age 25. The high places remained. He reigned for 16 years. Jotham's son Ahaz began his reign at age 20. He was an evil king. He sacrificed his children to Baal. He cut up the sacred vessels from the temple. Ahaz's son was Hezekiah, and he was a good king. Hezekiah tore down the high places finally, destroyed the brass serpent that Moses had made because the people had forgotten the meaning and made it into an idol. He began his reign at age 25. He repaired the temple and reinstated the Passover feast, and a great reformation took place in Judah. Judah prospered under Hezekiah. Well, one day Hezekiah was sick in bed when Isaiah came in and said, Set your house in order, you're dying. Man, like I said, what a beautiful bedside manner. Hezekiah panicked. I suppose that you would too. We all want to get to heaven, but we kind of dread the trip. What if you found you had only a short time to live? Maybe just a few hours or days or weeks. Would you change any of your actions or attitudes? 
If I knew I was about to die, I'd want to be sure I was right with Christ. I want nothing to mar my relationship with him. If I knew I was going to die and had unconfessed sin in my life, I would confess those sins to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. That morning that I talked with Peggy about uh, her situation, she'd always had kind of a tendency to have a kind of a bitter attitude towards people, a non-forgiving spirit. And so I talked to her about her bitterness and non-forgiving spirit. I, you know, I, I had preached the week before about monsters in the basement, and I had emailed her my outline. She asked me, she said, is it sin to have those attitudes? Well, I told her Jesus said if we can't forgive others, he can't forgive us. I told her she couldn't clean the mess up, but Jesus could. She listened and did some heart searching. We prayed together, and I'm so thankful for that last conversation I had with her in that time of prayer. You know, if I knew my life was about over and I had harbored bitterness towards someone, I would ask God to flow his forgiveness through me to that person. I do my best to pray for them and try to see them as God sees them. They may have offended me, but not nearly as bad as I offend God with my bitterness. Even if they've mistreated me, it'll be me that will stand before God with my attitude. He's provided forgiveness for me, and I certainly can ask him to help me to forgive someone else. If I knew I was about to die and had wronged someone, I'd want to make it right. I don't want to have a bad relationship with anyone that will keep me out of heaven. Remember, hell is not a temporary situation that lasts forever with no hope of ever escaping. And I don't want anything to be in my life that would cause me to miss heaven and go to hell. If I knew I was dying and had been slack in my devotions and prayer life, I'd make certain I read my Bible and prayed like I should have been doing all along. I don't want to hear God say, Hi, stranger, depart. I never knew you. I, I've been trying to sharpen my relationship to him in that very area. If I was about to die and I'd stolen from or cheated anyone, I'd make it right because I don't want to try to explain that one to God, especially if I'd been stealing from God. What do you say? Well, Malachi 3, 8 through 10 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me and the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need." If I was dying, I would want to make sure I was current with my tithe and of my time, my money, everything. I, I sure don't want to face God with his money in my pocket. You know, uh, Leighton Farrell, a uh, pastor at Highland Park Church in Dallas, Texas, and he was a man in the church. He had a man in the church once that made a covenant with him, uh, was telling about a covenant he made with a former pastor to tithe 10% of their income every year. They were young, neither of them had much money, and things changed. The layman tithed $1,000, the year he earned $10,000. 
$10,000 the year he earned $100,000. $100,000 the year he earned $1 million, but the year he earned $6 million, he just couldn't bring himself to write that check for $600,000 to the church. He telephoned the minister who had moved to another church and asked to see him. Walking into that pastor's office, the man begged to be let out of the covenant, saying, this tithing business has to stop. I was fine when I tied $1,000, but I just can't afford $600,000. You've got to do something, Reverend. The pastor knelt and prayed silently for a long time. Eventually, the man said, what are you doing? Are you praying God will let me out of the covenant to tithe? No, said the pastor. I'm praying that God will reduce your income back to the level where $1,000 will be your tithe. Listen, I have a sad reminder. We are all dying. We will all face God someday. You don't know when death will come or if you'll have any warning. Hebrews 9.27 is just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. It would make sense for you to live like you want to live if you knew you were going to face Jesus tomorrow or even tonight. Set your house in order. You know, some people live too long. Hezekiah should have accepted God's plan. In Isaiah 38, 4 through 8, Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city, I will deliver you and this city out of the hands of the king of Assyria and I will defend this city. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun of the dial of Ahaz turn back 10 steps. So the sun turned back on the dial for 10 steps by which he had declined. God said, gave him 15 more years. 2 Kings 20 verse 6 says, And I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. God did some wonderful miracles during those 15 years while Hezekiah was king. Sennacherib, ruler of Assyria, demanded tribute from Judah, which Hezekiah's father had paid, but Hezekiah refused to pay. This led to an invasion of Judah by Sennacherib, who took 40 cities and besieged Jerusalem. The first time Hezekiah yielded to the demands of Sennacherib and paid him 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Sennacherib came back within two years invading Judah, demanding more. Hezekiah had had enough. With Isaiah's guidance, he prayed for God's help. And wow, that night the angel of the Lord smote 185,000 men in the camp of the Assyrians. Sennacherib fled to Nineveh with a shattered remnant of his forces. Seventeen years later, he was assassinated by his own sons. Also during those 15 years, various ambassadors came to congratulate Hezekiah on his recovery. Among them, Merodach Baldadan, I guess I said that right, the king of Babylon. Isaiah 39, 1 through 8, at that time Merodach Baldadan 
the son of Baldadan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, and that was found in his that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Hezekiah or then Isaiah the prophet came to Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And where did you take they come from? And Hezekiah said they came from to me from the far country from Babylon. He said, well, what have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouse that I did not show them. Then Hezekiah, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought there will be peace and security in my days, comfort for God's people. I mean, you know, selfishness here. They came to see what God had done to, for Hezekiah. And what did Hezekiah do? Hezekiah's prosperity, success, and deliverance from sickness made him proud. So rather than give God credit for all his blessings, he wanted to impress the foreigners. When God helps us, we must not take credit for his blessings to impress others. A testimony of victory can quickly degenerate into vanity and self-congratulations. He exalted himself instead of God. Hezekiah was haughty. He said, look at my shiny house of armor. Look at all these trinkets I've accumulated. This collection of stuff. I chased the Necherim off. I did this. I did that. Isaiah warned Hezekiah to put his house in order, but by this time his heart was again cluttered with self-importance, and God won't share his glory. When Isaiah came, he said, You fool, look what you've done. Remember, even Moses got in trouble for disobeying God's instructions and taking credit for providing water from the rock. Numbers 27 through 12. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take this staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So shall, so shall you bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation their cattle. And Moses took the staff from the Lord as he commanded him. Moses strikes the rock with Moses uh, and Aaron gat. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his head and hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. The water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, 
to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Also, back to uh, Hezekiah, also during the 15 years that he lived, Manasseh, the most evil king of Judah, was born. Second Kings chapter twenty twenty one, and Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and Manasseh his son reigned in his place. How quickly we forget how God has delivered us and blessed us. I saw a program on television years ago. Thugs were chasing a man with the idea of beating and killing him. He begged God, oh, please, God, help me, save me from those thugs. As soon as he was safe, he said, it's okay, God, I can take it from here. You know, before the EPA in the spring in logging country, great quantities of logs were shot down to the rivers and log flumes or, or troughs, troughs, I mean, that, that flowed with water in them and took the logs right down to the rivers. Sometimes a log jam occurred. The lumberjack would look for the log causing the jam, and when he found the key log, he jerked it out of place, and the flow moved on down the river. There's such a thing as a spiritual log jam. The, the, we lose our religion in, a religious enthusiasm. Our interests in personal devotions wanes, and our in the Lord's house becomes a bore, and the Bible becomes an unopened book. When that happens, we must find the key log stopping the flood of the spiritual life. It may be an unforgiving spirit or jealousy or hypocrisy. Jerk the obstruction out of place with Christ's help and spiritual vitality will surge onward. We need to constantly stay up to date with God, not just during crisis times. The symptoms of spiritual decline are like what happens when we begin to lose our physical health. It begins with a loss of appetite. We no longer want the wholesome food. You know, we, spiritually, we lose our interest in spiritual food, prayer, reading the scriptures, devotional books, listening to sermons. When you notice these symptoms, are, be alarmed. Your spiritual health is in danger, so go immediately to the great physician for a cure. Hezekiah needed to set his house in order, and then he needed to keep his house in order. What about you? If every circumstance finds us abiding in Christ, we'll find Christ abiding with us in every circumstance. So when a day comes on some memorial day when your relatives are remembering you, you've already gone on ahead to eternity, will you go to the part of eternity that would take you to heaven or are you going to end up in hell? I think this Memorial Day, it would be good for us to search our hearts out, say, God, help me to know where I am in relationship to you and help me to get things right so that I'm ready when it comes time for me to face you on that day of judgment. Father, I'd pray that you help us each one, that we might be able to stand in the, your presence and uh, one day hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into those things prepared for those who love me. 
Lord, if there's a spiritual need, if someone's listening and hasn't accepted Christ their Savior, help them to remember this is the day they should repent of their sins. They should confess their need to you and ask you to be their Lord and Savior. I pray, God, that this Memorial Day you'll keep people safe as they travel. Help us not just to celebrate with the fun things, but help us to stop and realize again now, what happened that made us want to celebrate a Memorial Day? All the people that sacrificed their lives, and especially you, Jesus Christ, that you took our sins to the cross with you. Thank you so much. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, remember, if you want to get in touch with me, my phone number is 623-845-2741. You can call or you can text. I'm interested in knowing if you have a need. And uh, remember also, if you want to write me, it's Box 4031, Sun Valley, Arizona, 86029. Or you can send the uh, email. Sometimes I I miss things on email, but I'll try to remember to look. It's lowercase r-e-v-w-m-w-w-o-o-d-s at gmail.com. Again, I would invite you to come to First Baptist Church tomorrow and join us as we worship God together.